Section 3 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 9, May 1898. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii in November 2020. The Philippine Islands by F. F. Hilder. Part 3. Harbors the immense coastline of the islands contains a great number of good harbours but in consequence of the exclusive policy of the spanish government in closing them to foreign commerce very little is known of them except to coastwise navigators the foreign trade is confined chiefly to manila iloilo cebu and sual Sambuanga, on the island of mindanao is also an open port but the amount of business transacted there is insignificant. The Bay of Manila, one of the finest in the world, is about 120 miles in circumference, with deep water and very few dangers to navigation. The entrance is divided into two channels, by the islands Corregidor and Cavallos, the northern about two miles in width and the southern five miles. The anchorage for large vessels is good within a short distance from the mouth of the river Pasig, on which the city of Manila is situated, and which enters the bay on its eastern side, where it is prolonged into the bay by two piers, which terminate, the one in a small fort, and the other in a lighthouse. During the stormy weather of the southwest monsoon, this anchorage of the city is not considered very safe. But there is good shelter for ships at Cavite, which lies about eight miles southwest of Manila in a direct line by water or fourteen by land. Here the Spaniards have a naval establishment with a marine railroad capable of taking from the water vessels of two thousand tons displacement, a dock for gunboats and small vessels, and shops containing machinery and appliances for repairs also an arsenal and hospital iloilo the second port in importance is on the island of panay near its southeastern extremity distant about two hundred fifty miles in a direct line from manila the approach to the harbour is by a channel between a sandbank and the island of guimaras which lies about two and a half miles from the shore the anchorage for large vessels, which is well protected and naturally good, is outside the mouth of the Iloilo River, but small vessels enter it and discharge their cargoes at the wharves of the town, which faces both on the sea and on a bend of the river. Cities and Towns Although there are innumerable villages and many considerable towns in the Philippine Islands, the restrictive policy of Spain and the centralization of civil, military and ecclesiastical power at Manila have prevented the growth of any other great community. Consequently, it is the only important city. The geographical conditions, principal among which is the connection of Manila Bay with Lake Bay by the river Pasig, affording facilities for communication with the interior, led to the foundation of a settlement at the mouth of the river in prehistoric times, 
as when the Europeans first landed there, they found a native town enclosed by a stockade for defense, called by the natives Manila. Although the name Manila is generally applied to the city on both sides of the river Pasig, which forms the metropolis of the islands, it is only the old walled city or fortress situated on the left or south bank of the river to which the designation was originally applied. It was founded in 1581, and King Philip III of Spain gave it armorial bearings and conferred on it the title of La Muy Noble Ciudad, the very noble city of Manila. It is a typical old-fashioned Spanish town, surrounded by ramparts, and has seen very little alteration or improvement during the past two hundred years. It contains seventeen streets, laid out at right angles. The governor's palace, the cathedral, and archiepiscopal residence face on the plaza or public square, which is adorned with magnificent tropical shrubbery and flowers, surrounding a statue of Charles IV, which stands in the center. The barracks for the military forces, the government offices, and custom house are all located in this old town, but as there is very little business or commercial activity there, it is intensely dull and life there is monotonous. Just outside the fortifications is a broad road called the Calzada, which is to Manila what the Paseo de la Reforma is to the city of Mexico, Hyde Park to London, or the Champs-Élysées to Paris. Every fine evening from five o'clock to dusk is crowded with carriages and equestrians, seeking relief in the cooler evening air after the heat of the day, and society enjoys the luxury of seeing and being seen. Near the river stands a stone column erected to the memory of Fernando de Magalhez, the Portuguese navigator and discoverer of the islands. It stands on a marble pedestal and is surmounted by a bronze sphere and decorated midway with dolphins, anchors, and laurel wreaths. On the opposite side of the river, and connected with the old city by several bridges, is the newer town, which is the commercial metropolis, called by the Spaniards Binondo, but is now universally included in the designation Manila. It is full of animation and activity, and forms a startling contrast to its sleepy old neighbor across the river. In passing a bridge from the old city, the passenger seems to step at once from the 16th to the 19th century. Here all is life and bustle. The principal street, called the Escolta, is lined with stores and business places of all classes, and from morning to night is thronged with a motley crowd of many races and every shade of color, while electric lights and street cars attest that the spirit of progress is gradually encroaching on the conservative ideas of the past. In the old city and the older parts of the newer town, most of the buildings were of brick and stone, with tiled roofs, but repeated shocks of earthquake have taught the lesson to build in anticipation of them. It is now very rare that stone or brick is used in the construction of buildings above the level of the ground. Modern houses are seldom more than two stories in height, with galvanized iron roofs supported by wooden pillars, 
so arranged as to allow of a certain amount of oscillation independent of the walls the native houses are built of wood or bamboo and thatched with palm leaves they are of course very combustible but practically earthquake proof the population of the metropolis and its suburbs is about two hundred fifty thousand to three hundred thousand many of the suburban villages are very populous tondo a short distance on the binondo side has upward of thirty thousand inhabitants santa cruz has twelve thousand and santa ana a pretty village where many of the wealthy citizens of manila have country residences contains about seven thousand people population spanish statistics are notoriously unreliable and no accurate census has ever been taken but the number of inhabitants is about eight million the bulk of the population is of malay origin on their first arrival the spaniards found part of the natives in possession of some amount of civilization they had a written language of which some specimens have been preserved though of no value in throwing light on their former history and their traditions are very few the spanish priests here as in mexico and central america did all in their power to extirpate all mythological and other lore that existed and unfortunately with almost complete success but fortunately for the inhabitants they were treated more mercifully than in most of the other newly discovered countries acquired by spain so that they have increased in numbers instead of being exterminated as in many places in the western hemisphere this was not due however to any magnanimity on the part of the spaniards but to the fact that the great distance of the islands from spain prevented their being overrun by greedy and cruel adventurers as was the case in the west indian islands and adjacent mainland in mindanao and some of the other southern islands there are some pure malays who are mohammedans they are called moros moors by the spaniards and at times give them as much trouble as the african moors gave their ancestors in spain there are also in the interior of luzon and other islands many semi-savage tribes who have never submitted to spanish rule or to spanish taxation and when they escape the latter it is pretty certain that they are not under control they are as untamed and are living as primitive a life as they were when the spaniards landed on the islands more than three centuries ago the philippine malays are a superior race to many other asiatic people they are orderly amiable courteous honest and hospitable exceedingly superstitious and when they profess christianity are easily influenced by the priests like most tropical people they are intermittent rather than steady workers their wants are easily provided for and they take life easy they are lacking in energy when at peace but their hot tropical blood makes them fierce and revengeful in war they are fond of music dancing and amusement of all kinds but are born gamblers and cock-fighting is their great passion every native however poor owns a game-cock and is always ready to bet his last coin on its prowess every town and village has its cockpit and in the larger communities the spectators may be numbered by thousands 
of course this amusement like everything else in the spanish colonies is heavily taxed and a considerable revenue is derived from this source advantage is also taken of the taste for gambling by running a lottery for the benefit of the government the mestizos or mixed races form a numerous and influential portion of the population the descendants of spanish fathers and native mothers are numerous a large proportion of the merchants and landed proprietors are of this class and most of the subordinate and clerical offices of the government are filled by them another element is the chinese and half-breeds of mixed chinese and native blood few chinese women come to the islands and the men intermarry with the native women in their offspring the paternal type seems to absorb the maternal and to be persistent for generations throughout the islands or at least in all the larger towns the bulk of the retail trade banking and money-lending is in chinese hands they are industrious persevering economical and many of them possess considerable wealth there are probably not more than fifteen or twenty thousand spaniards or people of pure spanish blood who are permanent or temporary residents and the number of other foreigners is not large the majority of them are in manila the english have established a club at sampaloc in the suburbs which has become the centre of foreign social intercourse. History The Philippine Islands were discovered by the Portuguese navigator Fernando de Magalhães on the voyage from which only one of his ships returned after circumnavigating the globe. He first sighted them on St. Lazarus's Day, 1521, from which circumstance he named them Archipelago de San Lazaro. His first landing was on the eastern coast of the island of Mindanao. He afterwards went to Cebu, where he became friendly with the native ruler and accompanied him on a warlike expedition in which he was killed. From this time until 1542, several expeditions were dispatched from Spain to take possession of the islands, but from a variety of causes, all failed. In 1565, another expedition, commanded by Miguel de Legazpi, was dispatched by Philip II to secure the islands, which had been named the Philippines in his honor before his accession to the throne. Legazpi made good his footing in Cebu, but afterwards transferred his headquarters to Luzon, and the city of Manila was founded in 1581. From this time the islands were gradually brought under the dominion of Spain, that is, so far as their subjection was successful, which really extended to little more than the sea-coasts, and such towns and villages as have been created by the Spaniards, or held by their military forces, or by the power of the priests. That this dominion has continued is solely from lack of organization among the natives, and risings have taken place from time to time, but have always been suppressed. The islands have also been frequently threatened from without, but have never been wholly lost to Spain since Legazpi first planted the Spanish standard on them. For a long time the attacks were made principally by the Portuguese, who were jealous of the increasing power of Spain in the Orient. 
Later, the Dutch, incited by a similar feeling, endeavoured to obtain possession of the islands. These attacks, however, were never very serious affairs, and the only really dangerous invasion was in 1754, when Li Ma Hong, a Chinese pirate, attacked the Spanish possessions with a powerful fleet of 95 war junks, but was defeated and compelled to retreat. And again, in 1762, when the English captured the city of Manila and held it and the neighboring country until 1764, when, peace having been restored, the captured territory was returned to Spain. The more civilized natives, and particularly the half-breeds, who are sufficiently educated to crave for greater freedom, have long been in a chronic condition of discontent, induced by oppressive taxation and tyrannical rule, in which the ecclesiastics have always used their authority to support the government. This produced a crisis in 1896, and led to the serious insurrection which has been in progress, with various ebbs and flows of fortune, until the present time. Administration In Madrid there is a Council of State for the Philippines, which has in charge the interests of the colony and acts as an advisory board to the minister of the colonies. At Manila, the administration of the government has for its head and chief a governor-general. Next to the captain-generalship of Cuba, this is the most important and lucrative post at the disposal of the home government. This jurisdiction also extends over the Mariana or Ladrone Islands, the Carolines and the Palau Islands. There is also a lieutenant governor who takes the place of the captain general in case of his death, and a council in Manila which has a voice in all questions concerning the internal affairs of the islands. The archbishop also exerts considerable power, and the ecclesiastical authority is interwoven in all the machinery of government. The islands are divided into provinces, subject to politico-military governors or alcaldes mayores, who are generally civilians. The provinces are subdivided into districts, and these again into pueblos or parishes, over which is an officer called a gobernadorcillo, a diminutive of governor, who is elected annually by the people, but the real power in these communities is generally the priest, who not only looks after the spiritual welfare of the people, but directs their material affairs. For the imposition and collection of taxes, Spanish ingenuity has been exercised to the utmost, but the basis of the financial system in the Philippines is the poll tax, which every adult, both male and female, under sixty years of age, has to pay, and unhappy is the lot of the native who fails to meet the demands of the tax-gatherer. He is arrested and imprisoned, or deported to a penal settlement, and his family, if he has one, is left to shift for itself. Religion and Education The Roman Catholic is the established church in the Philippine Islands, which contain one archiepiscopal see and three bishoprics. Most of the ecclesiastical authority is in the hands of the various religious orders, Dominicans, Augustines, Franciscans, etc., 
who are the real rulers of the country as their power among the natives far exceeds that of the civil or military authorities and of this power they are very jealous as is evidenced by the long record in the history of the islands of bitter controversies between the church and the civil authority and the quarrels of the religious bodies among themselves in their efforts to maintain ascendancy there is no doubt that among the priesthood there are many devout sincere men who do their duty faithfully and devotedly and exert an immense and beneficial influence on the natives under their charge but on the whole religious affairs on the islands are behind the age and would be more useful to the people who are naturally devout if they were infused with the more modern ideas and methods of the church in europe and america education is much neglected both the institutions for higher education and primary schools are antiquated in their methods and altogether behind the times and although in nearly every town and village that is under the control of the government a school may be found neither the quantity nor quality of the instruction it imparts is satisfactory end of section three